Hello, it's Elizabeth Day here. I just wanted to say thank you so, so much for listening to How to Fail with Elizabeth Day Season 2. It's been an amazing journey. I've loved every minute. I've loved hearing from you about what you've thought of each episode. Thank you so much for your tweets, for your Instagram messages, for your emails, for your ratings, for your reviews. I read every single one. I'm sorry if it takes me a while to reply to you, but I appreciate it more than I can possibly say. It is so incredibly meaningful to me to have this level of connection from listeners far and wide. It has been really, really wonderful. I also wanted to thank our sponsors, Fourth Estate. I'm sorry that you no longer get to hear me say Baba Ganoush, but I'm thrilled that you've had the chance to listen to lots of fantastic trails for brilliant new books, and I hope you've been scouring out to your local bookshops to buy them. I thought as a special treat for this end-of-season finale, we would have an unscripted conversation with the legend behind the microphone, the man in the shadows, Chris Sharp, fantastic producer of podcasts. I was so lucky when I met this man. He is the one who makes it sound this good so that when I say Baba Ganoush, it really registers on many, many tones. Chris is sitting here opposite me. He's looking slightly nervous. He doesn't know what I'm going to ask him. But first of all, I just want to say thank you, Chris. And how have you enjoyed recording and producing How to Fail with Elizabeth Day? It's been a nightmare, to be honest. Um, no, it's been lovely. It's been really good. I've been a massive diva. <laughs> you've been t- you've been awful. So I've told everyone about you. It's been really enjoyable. Yeah. It's been lovely. I feel so lucky to have found you. I basically just Googled for a producer when I decided to come up with this podcast idea and struck very, very lucky when I found you. So oh, thank, thank you. you. It seems like a long time ago. So the first podcast we recorded was Sebastian Folks. And I remember it was pouring with rain and we met in... Notting Hill. It was actually like a Richard Curtis movie. It was a bit. Yeah, we're in a, an underground station, I think, in the ticket office. Yes. And uh, we're like, oh, are you Elizabeth? Exactly. Are you, you Chris? Chris? Oh, yes. Right. <laughs> and since then, we've just gone from strength to strength. Yeah. And Chris is just a delightfully calming, always punctual presence. <laughs> and he sets up these microphones quite often in my flat, which is where we are today, and sometimes in people's homes, and then sits, again, quite often cross-legged, like a, a master yogi for the entire... <laughs> Entirety of the recording, and I, I do think you've mastered that clever thing of being present but not too present. <laughs> yeah, sometimes my legs have gone to sleep because I sit on the floor. Sometimes I get up and my legs are, aren't really working after about an hour of recording. But it's all right, yeah. You're dedicated to the task. I'm dedicated, That's what I love about yeah. You. And also, every time I come out of an interview, I always, always want to know what Chris has thought because he's so perceptive. And I wanted to ask you, Chris, who has been your highlight of season two? Season two, well, there's quite a lot to choose from. Uh, Correct answer, well done. Yes, <laughs> but if I had to narrow it down to one, I really enjoyed the one with Tara Westover. I really liked her story. I thought that was really fascinating and quite inspiring and, and looking at sort of where she's come from to where she is today and how she's got herself educated, which is obviously the title of a book. But I no, I thought the Tara Westover story was fascinating. So I think that was, uh, yeah, probably if I had to pick a favourite of season two, it would be her. I loved the Tara Westover interview as well because it was one of those interviews where I felt my mind expanding actually as she was talking. It was like being in the best combination of a a brilliant university lecturer but also a great friend because she's Mm. she's got a very amazing way of kind of conveying her thoughts and her ideas. So I obviously can't pick a favourite because that's like picking from my children but I did love Jessie Burton 
who has become a cherished friend, actually. And it's really interesting, that one, because I'd met Jessie over the years. I'd been sent to interview her as a best-selling novelist. Her, not me, by the way. <laughs> I was interviewing her <laughs> over the Radio Times. But we'd never got a chance to kind of hang out and just chew the fat together. And she listened to season one of How to Fail with Elizabeth Day and was moved to text me. And then I was like, would you ever be on it? And that was the genesis of that conversation. And I think what I loved about it was that it was so wide ranging and she's so insightful and wise about the human condition. And it was just really nice for me to sit there and feel that I was connecting with a dear friend as well as someone who had really interesting things mm. to say. So I liked her a lot. I liked her house. I liked her, oh my the decor in her house <laughs> with, uh, who was it, the, uh, the Mexican lady? Frida Kahlo. Frida Kahlo, yeah. Yeah, Fantastic. and her cat Margot. And her cat as well. I don't know how to break this to you, Chris, but she's just moved, so that flat. Has she really? Yeah. Oh my God. Oh no. I, know. Really, oh, I really liked her house. But it's fine because she's got amazing taste and she will carry that with her. In yeah. fact, the mug you are drinking from, Jessie gave to me for my birthday. Oh, right. That's a good mug. I, it yeah. says, I'm optimistic on it. Oh, good. Uh, anyway, yes, Jessie had a beautiful house. Um, hmm. And who else did we do it? Now, I, we did Alistair Campbell, who I hmm. also really love the fact that he was so open about his mental health issues. Hmm. It's quite rare to get men to talk that openly. So that was a good one. Yeah, and he was, ni- he was nice as well. I, I know. He was nicer than I expected. I know, and he turned up <laughs> half an hour early for the interview. Do you remember? He was very early. I think I was still setting up the microphones when he knocked on the door. I was just relieved and, I wasn't um, like, in the shower or something. And he was wearing a suit and sort of like a red tie. Yes. So he, was sort of in, he looked like Alistair Campbell. Yeah, and then it's quite <laughs> surreal to have Alistair Campbell sitting on my sofa. Yeah, in fact, in this exact spot. Yeah, that was a good one. What if you had to pick, not the opposite of a highlight, but what if you had to pick someone who struck you for different reasons than the, the people that you loved? <laughs> hmm, let me think. <clears throat> who do you think had a surprising attitude to failure? Surprising attitude to failure? I think uh, <laughs> probably James Fry, actually. I thought his attitude to failure was an interesting one because his attitude was kind of like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was his attitude to failure and it's like I mean, it's not a failure if you think it's a failure then fuck you um, I can swear on this podcast can't I yeah you can <laughs> he says after editing <laughs> two seasons of it yeah so I thought James Fry he was an interesting chap and yeah. his attitude to pretty much everything I thought <laughs> I'm just laughing because it's been so fascinating seeing people's reactions to the James Fry interview Mm. because afterwards I was really worried that I hadn't asked enough questions and then listening back to it I was like but I don't think there was space for me to do that and actually I was really glad I got to interview him because I do love his writing and I still think A Million Little Pieces is a brilliant book And I do think that his attitude to failure is actually something I personally can learn from. Like, it's very different from my attitude in that his whole thing was, yes, I became a literary pariah when it turned out that my memoir was part fabricated. But as you say, Chris, like, fuck you. I wasn't following the rules. I was being an anarchic writer and I didn't care about genre. And I was like, well, you know what? If the unconfident among us had 1% of that self-belief, imagine the amazing things we could do. Yeah, and he was, he, we had him on the line, didn't we? We had him on like a telephone line. Yeah. Or FaceTime, I think it was. FaceTime. From the US, yeah. From Connecticut, and he was chewing a lot of Nicorette gum. I think he was, yes. <laughs> and I could tell that Chris wasn't wasn't a fan of the sound quality, and we just had to plough on. <laughs> I'm never a fan of the sound quality, though. unless it's my own microphones. I'm never a fan. 
Especially now, because there's building work going on upstairs, yeah. which is troubling you. So what's, been, what's been your favourite building work of season two? <laughs> my favourite building work of season two, other than the one that's currently going on in my own flat, was David Baddiel's building work. Really? So David Baddiel, if you've listened to the podcast, you will already know that it started with a failure and that he tried to come to my flat, couldn't find a parking space. We then had to get into his car to drive to his house, which luckily is quite nearby, and got to his house set up there and as soon as we set up there was some enormous tapping sound from next door and we had to stop that so I think that's a memorable one my favorite again it's Tara Westover because she had that noise halfway in it was the flat next door and they had a leak and so there was some noise it sounded like they were doing yeah it was a very strange kind of whining sound yeah we had to go out and try and get them to stop but there's always something. Building work we have loved and lost <laughs> yeah, <absolutely. laughs> along the way. We could do a special of just building noises. Yes. We could do a whole podcast with that. Just do a whole album, like yeah. a, a concept album. I also loved Otago Uwagba because I thought she spoke so beautifully and so openly about living with depression. And I know that that's another one that's really, really resonated with people. Um, mm. I also like that one because she said at the beginning, <laughs> she's never going to forgive me for this because she says I never let her forget it. But she said at the beginning that one of her rules was never to wear florals. And then she texted me about a week after that saying, I've just got to confess to you, I've just bought something floral. <laughs> But Otega could wear anything and make it look incredible. Yeah. But I thought that was a really moving one. Yeah, she was very honest and open about her failure. And uh, yeah. And I thought, again, that's a really... Um, I just love the fact that there are all these strong, brilliant women who are completely willing to go there and say, you know, I wasn't ready for that job and that's okay now because I learned from it and I didn't get into the university of my choice and that's okay too because it led me in this direction. It has been so inspiring to listen to these women say that. And of course, the other one who didn't get into quite, I mean, she did get into Cambridge, but she didn't get into the college of her choice was Michelle Hussein. And again, because she's such a composed, brilliant broadcaster and someone who I've admired for ages, I think to hear her admit to those kind of what she perceived of as failings was really moving, actually. And I hope inspiring as well for those of you who've listened. Yeah. Who sticks with you from season one? Season one. Oh, that was like a lifetime ago. You loved David Nichols. Oh, yes. David Nichols. I thought he was really nice. He was so open about his failure as an actor. And failed to become an actor. And I think he was quite brave how, I think he said it was, he gave himself a cut-off point at age 29 or something. And if he didn't have a decent part by that age, he would give up and do something else. But, I mean, yeah, to go from acting to writing. I mean, yeah, it's, it's all storytelling, isn't it? Yeah. What podcasts do you listen to, Chris? <laughs> other Other than this one. I don't really listen to podcasts. Oh my god! Okay, this, this is really we'll have bad. To cut that bit out. No, I'm joking. Um, but you record a lot of audiobooks, don't you? Yeah, and not so many recently, but I have done. I've done quite a few audiobooks over the years, and lots of kind of radio programs, radio four programs, and TV stuff, and kind of yeah, bits and bobs really. Chris is also rather brilliantly a musician because his name is C Sharp, literally Chris Sharp. And you released an album recently. What's it called? Uh, there was an album that came out in April called For Concrete and Country. Great title. Yeah, For Concrete and Country. So um, that's doing okay. That was out on vinyl. I don't, I'm not sure if there are any left now. They had a repress in September. But if you like strange <laughs> electronic music based on Cold War Britain, then it might be right up your alley. What is not to love about that? What's not to love? What's not to love? Yeah. 
Chris Sharp, what is not to love about you? Nothing. Thank you so much for making this journey so much fun, for being such a brilliant producer. I couldn't do it without you, quite literally. And thank you all for listening. And we will see you back for season three in the new year. 